later in our gathering uh, this morning, Rob will give us an update on the things the Lord's doing in northern Italy, and so I know you'll look forward to that. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the last book in John, John chapter 21, and any preschoolers or children, you're dismissed now for Gospel Project. We are working our way through this book, and we've made it to the last chapter. We'll spend this week and next on this wonderful commissioning that Jesus gives in John 21. If you're new with us, our habit is simply to open to the next chapter or next section in a book that we're working our way through, and we're committed as a congregation to hearing from God in His Word. So our habit most weeks is simply to work our way through a book in the Bible, passage after passage. About nine months ago, we started in John, and uh, here we are almost to the end. After this, we'll be reading together through some of the Psalms for most of the summer, and uh, then we'll do a brief series on the church, followed by looking through uh, the book of Ruth. So if you want to read ahead, you could look at Psalms or Ruth. Last week, as Rob prayed, uh, we considered the significance of the resurrection in John chapter 20. Today, we'll find the disciples back at home. They have left the festivities in Jerusalem as they've come to an end, and they've journeyed back north up to where many of those disciples are from, to the region of Galilee. And in a sense, they've resumed normal life. Imagine how confusing it must have been to be them. They had given up everything to follow Jesus, believing that he was going to establish his kingdom on earth then and now, and then he wound up dead. And to their great surprise, not only did he wind up dead, but he came back to life. But Jesus kept playing, where's Waldo? He showed up, and then he disappeared. And he showed up again, and then he disappeared. Imagine what that must have been like. What were they to do? How are they to live the rest of their lives? Well, our passage today will help us to understand that. They had not yet come to fully understand the significance of the resurrection. And so this morning, in a rather surprising way, Jesus is going to show the disciples and us how to live daily life with a resurrected Lord. Perhaps you could think about it with me in this way. What does the life of a Christian, and especially our shared life as a congregation, look like? What is it that we're supposed to be and do? What do we give ourselves to in this time between the resurrection and the return of Christ? Listen for that as Carol Cabrera now comes to read. Carol is our newest church member, and she's graciously agreed to read for us from John 21. 1 through 14. So would you welcome her as she comes? John 21, 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, the, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. 
Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Carol. I'm excited to share this passage with you this morning. We'll consider this text under two headings. Uh, first, Jesus again revealed. I wanted to use the word re-revealed, but that's not a word. So I had to use again. Jesus again revealed, and then second, we'll consider mission again revealed. So first, Jesus again revealed. Here's a, a basic rundown of what Carol just read for us. A group of the disciples, seven of them, returned home and went out for a night of fishing. If you were a fisherman, you would often go out at night when it was cooler, and you would catch fish in the cool of the evening and overnight. And then just as people were waking up, you would come back to shore, and they would come in the morning and buy fish before they got stinky during the day. Uh, this was the trade of many of Jesus' disciples. They were experienced fishermen. This agricultural region of Galilee was rural. It's full of small towns, and many of the disciples, this is what they had done for a living. Now that the festivities were over in Jerusalem, they'd returned home. They no doubt were still wondering and questioning, what is the deal with Jesus? But they had to resume life as they knew it, and so that's what they did. But despite being very experienced fishermen, they fished all night and caught nothing. I wonder if you've had one of those kind of days at work recently. You labored long and hard, toiled, and yet at the end you had nothing to show for it. Sometimes we have those kinds of days. Sometimes we have those kinds of nights. The disciples did that night. But as they were headed in their boat back to shore, 
as the sun was beginning to come up for the day, they noticed a man that couldn't yet recognize him off on the shore. And he said, how many did you catch? And probably with heads a bit hung, they said, none. We didn't catch any fish. And so Jesus made a political statement. He told them, you've been fishing all night in the left. You should fish on the right. Throw your net out on the right side of the boat. That's a joke, by the way. Now, similar things have happened before. Jesus, another time, with Peter, in fact, had said, cast your net out over here. And then, miraculously, they caught an enormous amount of fish. With their net dragging so heavy they couldn't pull it into the boat, they got up to the shore, and then the story ends with the seven disciples sitting enjoying a wonderful breakfast, fish pancakes with Jesus. That's a remarkably tender scene. Sure, it's weird for us. We don't fish for a living. But think back to what this would have been like for the disciples. Not only had Jesus rose again, And not only did he show himself once or twice, but he came back a third time. That these disciples, back in their hometown, in their region where they grew up, back in the familiar stuff of everyday life, are reminded, are reassured that King Jesus is, in fact, alive. That the resurrection's true. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. And he would not reassure us today by appearing in a physical form, but rather he still does reassure us. He tells us today that he reassures us of his presence in his word, and as his spirit confirms that word in our hearts, and as we work out living our Christian lives together as the body of Christ each having our own various parts that we might encourage each other to stick with Jesus, to continue to grow up in the faith. Jesus wants to assure us that he is alive. Now notice also that this passage shows Jesus serving the disciples in the most mundane, basic needs. He provided fish for them that their livelihood might be met. He made them breakfast. He served them in that way. He gave them time as they sat around in a circle and ate breakfast with him. Friends, sometimes our books about Christianity we read and our sermons we hear and the conversations we have can make it sound like God only cares about what happens after you die. Now, certainly he does that. I mean, our span of time on earth is but short, and our enduring years of eternity last forever. So we we must never forget the right focus on eternity, on forever. And yet, Jesus is present and cares about today as well. Jesus, in fact, cares about your livelihood. He cares that you have food for your stomach He cares that you have companionship with the Father. Jesus serves the most basic needs that we have, even as we help one another, that we might see 
and savor Christ in all of life. On a surface level, that's what this story says, is it not? The disciples returned home. They went fishing. They caught nothing. Jesus helped them. They enjoyed a nice breakfast with him. That's a wrap. This will officially be the shortest sermon you've ever heard Chuck give. No, not so lucky. Friends, I think there's more here than just kind of a good old boy fishing story turned supernatural. Well, why would we say that? Well, let me give you a couple reasons why I think there's more here than might meet the eye in the very first reading. Three reasons why I think this story is symbolic, symbolic of a deeper truth than what we've seen thus far. Number one, throughout the book of John over the last nine months together, we've seen all kinds of symbolism from the very opening chapter all the way through the rest that we've covered together We have encountered many images or parables or analogies, metaphors, in order that we would be fully encompassed with the truth of who Jesus is. Things like living water, the bread of life, being born again, the light of the world, the shepherd and a sheep, the vine and the branches. These are all pictures John's given us. It would be exceedingly strange if John seems to have given us Images in every chapter only to stop short in the last one. You see, it would be consistent with the way John has written in order for us to see that he's painting for us a picture here of rich symbolism, just like he's done throughout the book. A second reason I think there's more here than meets the eye in first reading is what the other Gospels tell us. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke are also contemporary witnesses to the life of Christ. They were written for the same purpose, that people might come to see who Jesus is and place their trust in Him. Biographical accounts of the life of Christ. And in all three of those other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, fish are used by Jesus as a stand-in for people. We fish, if you will, by sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ in all of life in order that God could catch some by His grace and bring them into the church family. In fact, the call of Peter to follow Jesus began with that message. Just listen to these words from Matthew 4. They'll be on the screens. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, very likely extremely close to where the event we just read about occurred in John chapter 21. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, And John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left their boat and their father and followed him. Based on Matthew, Mark, and Luke, based on the exact same type of event starting the ministry of the disciples, it would make sense that Jesus would circle back around 
to the same kind of event in his reiteration of their calling. And finally, perhaps closest to the book of John itself, in our immediately preceding passage, the one we covered together last week in John chapter 20, the topic Jesus addressed was his calling on the Christians there to continue the mission, the work that Jesus had started. Maybe you remember the verse, John chapter 20, verse 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I wonder if you'd read that verse with me. John 20, 21. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Church, how deeply we need to hear, to be refreshed, to be reminded that this is in fact what the Father is doing through His Son, sending us that we might continue the message. So what am I saying? Well, I'm, I'm saying with, with appropriate guardrails, if you will. We, we don't ever want to read into a text more than what is actually there. But we also don't want to miss everything that is there. And so with appropriate guardrails keeping us from allegorizing, reading stuff into the text that Jesus didn't mean and John didn't intend, then we are on very safe ground to say that John chapter 21 is John's version of the Great Commission. You likely remember those words from the end of the book of Matthew, the most famous of the commissions, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me, says Jesus. Go, therefore, and make disciples. How? By baptizing them and teaching them to remember all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, gave that commission in a variety of ways. That we, in our great varieties of people, of backgrounds, of experience, of types of learning, that we too would see and feel and be sent by God to continue the mission. See, Jesus and this fishing story with the disciples is about Jesus and the role of the church. The disciples' fishing represents the evangelistic mission of the church. Their failure without Jesus represents a lack of abiding in Christ. Their fruitfulness with Him shows the mission of the church will be fruitful as we rely on Jesus. And all of this shows God's great concern to save fish, to save people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Now consider with me the essential details of the story with all this in mind, the ones we've already looked at. There's a group of disciples who have returned home. They've gone out for a night of fishing. But even in their names, even in the way their names are ordered, we are being given spiritually significant truths. I read this week a pastor who wrote this about the list of disciples. In this list of names, we are reminded of the character of Christ's church. As it was then, so has the church always consisted 
of those who have spiritual failures and non-entities. Church on Mill, look around you. This room is not full of spiritual heroes, but rather spiritual failures of non-entities, of people who in and of ourselves have absolutely nothing to offer of spiritual significance. And chief among all of you losers is me. God has always extended his kingdom and reached his people through broken, humble people. It was that way even with the disciples. He goes on, this list of names is headed by one who denied his Lord and another who was determined in disbelief. Included are, are an apparently quiet figure, Nathaniel combative personalities, the sons of Zebedee, and two others who are of such background figures that their names are not even mentioned. Brother or sister, if you don't have as prominent a place as you might want, understand all of us have the same place before Christ, welcomed into the family of God, given particular gifts to continue the work of God. Some might be like Peter and well-known, but his mistakes are also exceedingly well-known. Others might, in the halls of church history, have little known about you. But that certainly does not mean your work, your announcing of the kingdom of God is of insignificance. Now, despite being experienced fishermen, the disciples fished all night, and they caught nothing. Nothing. These were men who very likely, at least with the sons of Zebedee, grew up in the family business. While they were in diapers, they were probably mending the nets. They had spent their whole lives learning their trade that Dad's business might be passed down on to them. And yet that night as they fished, they were complete failures. This should serve as no surprise to them or to us. Jesus had already told them, Abide in me and I in you. For unless the branch abides in the vine, apart from me you will be able to do nothing. Brothers and sisters, we can do nothing of spiritual significance in and of ourselves. No matter how much we know, how long we've followed Christ, how many rich experiences with Him we've had in our past, there is ever need for the cup of our understanding and walking with God to be overflowing with new and fresh dependency upon Christ. Now around dawn, the resurrected Jesus showed up on shore, but he was far enough away that the disciples couldn't yet recognize them. Jesus told them to throw out the net, and what'd they do? They obeyed. They did what he said to do. Church, the essential difference between Christians and non-Christians, 
the fundamental mark of being the people of God. The distinguishing characteristic and habit and lifestyle of a believer versus a non-believer has nothing to do with how bad we've been in the past. Rather, it has everything to do with the posture of our obedience in the present. In other words, the essential trait that marks Christianity is that it's full of people who are learning to say yes to Jesus. It's full of people who are obedient to what Jesus says. Why? Because Christians have experienced the overwhelming love of Jesus Christ. We throw out our nets, as silly as it might seem, even if we've spent the whole night laboring already. We continue to obey God's Word, however silly it might seem to do so. How important it is we know that as we seek to labor together to reach Tempe and beyond for Christ. We will never reach people with the love of God if we forsake the Word of God. We must always cling to what God says even as we seek to share Him with others. And so these seven disciples, they threw out their nets and the result was an overwhelming catch. Supernatural in nature. Remember the analogy here that John's making for us is as Christians extend the net of the gospel, as we share the truth of who Jesus is and what He's done, how He came and lived the perfect life and He died the sacrificial death and He rose again in victory and He has now ascended to the Father and all who turn from their sin and turn to Him can be caught up in this great love of God, becoming part of the people of God. That as we do that work, friends, as a church, we are promised that there will be a harvest. There will be a catch. Now, I don't think the 153 is designed to say churches will become full of 153 people. There's all kinds of church history where people have tried to make sense of that number, but I think the point there is it's just a vivid detail that somebody, probably Peter, because he wanted to brag, went through and actually counted how many fish there were. And yet the larger point is clear. The gospel is effective. The gospel will complete the work that God has designed it to do. We may feel like a few gathered here this morning. We may feel insignificant. But oh, dear brothers and sisters, God around the world is creating for Himself a people caught up in His love, a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation who will worship Him forever. So what are Christians? Well, Christians are people who together are casting the gospel, asking God to welcome more and more in. If you look at verse 12, look at what Jesus says to the disciples as they come to the shore. How could you have not abided in me, depended on me, gone out and tried to do your work of fishing without me? No. Jesus, in his great grace, like he's done so many times already, says, Come, have breakfast. 
And notice this little tiny detail. The story says that Jesus is already there. He's already made a fire. That fire is going to be significant, as we'll look at that next week. But he's already made a fire, and what did he put on the fire? He's already put fish on it. And yet he tells the disciples, go get some of the fish you caught and bring those. Friends, our Savior would long that we would have union, communion, closeness, fellowship with Him, even as He allows us to enjoy the harvest of those He is catching. We get to participate in the great extension of the gospel and the growth of the church. What a picture of our union with Christ as we do His work. So brothers and sisters, we are on the mission of making disciples And we're fishing with the gospel, both here and around the world. And we do this forever in the presence and the power of our risen Savior. As Rob prayed for us earlier, Jesus has not left us. Yes, He's ascended where He sits now, ruling and reigning over all creation. And yet He ascended that He might send His Spirit to fill us that Jesus might not simply be beside us, but within us, granting us resurrection power that we might continue in this work. We do so not in the certain failure of our own strength, but in the guaranteed victory of communion with Christ, enjoying fellowship with Him as we read His Word and sing together and do His work as we continue the work. Now, would you fast forward with me a bit? If if we think of the chronology of the biblical story, then this event that's just been recorded for us would have happened somewhere around the year 33 AD. Jesus died, rose again, and he appeared to his disciples multiple times. Around year 33, Jesus ascends back to the Father. The Spirit comes And then as we turn the page from John into Acts, the story of Acts is how the Spirit has has come and empowered the church, and now the church begins to spread. And it's the great account of God working through the apostles and their disciples to extend the kingdom around the world. It's incredible. And the rest of the New Testament gives us the outgrowth, the, 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 the broader and broader net catching up of the gospel. Now, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, very likely didn't write this Gospel until the 80s, not the 1980s, the first 80s. And so, John likely is the last disciple alive. All these other guys who were in the boat with him have been martyred for their faith, for being obedient to John 21 for catching people with the gospel. John is now an old man. And as he looks back at his life, considering all the things God's done, no doubt he remembered this moment. And of all the things he could include, he was sure to include this moment so that all Christians for all time would understand that we too are caught up in this great mission of God. 
to declare the gospel of God, invite people to come to know Christ and enjoy Him. Church, to follow Jesus is to help others follow Jesus. The New Testament knows nothing of someone who claims the name of Christ, but doesn't also announce His name to others. This is what Christians do. Together, in certainly our various ways, according to our differing gifts and personalities and experiences, all are caught up in the work of following Christ by inviting others to do the same. If we were to take that message in John 21 and harmonize it through the rest of the New Testament in a rather uh, thorough way, here's what we might say. The mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit in order to reach the lost, mature the saved, and establish vibrant local churches which repeat the same among every people group on the planet. That is essentially what the rest of the New Testament says. Now, for the one or two of you that won't remember all of that, maybe you'll remember this. Go fish. Go fish. This is the essential message of John 21. Jesus, our great Savior, sends us out on the sea, out into the world. And yes, we will toil and we'll struggle and it will be hard at times. But in His strength and in obedience to His word, we'll cast the net and He will catch some for His glory. So church, as you welcome new people who walk into these doors every Sunday and you sit by them and you take interest in their lives, and you take them out to lunch afterwards, and you offer to pick them up tonight to bring them to GC at your home, even somebody you've just met, and you do all of this with the intent to show the love of Christ and share the gospel of Christ, then you are fulfilling the mission of the church. When you're in Fry's this week and you take the extra time to not go to the self-checkout lane, but to stand in that longer line, in order, that you, in order that you might see a human being. And as that person is checking out your items and you're stuck there standing awkwardly staring at each other, and you recognize this person has stood here for hours making minimum wage, checking groceries, likely with no one taking an interest at all in him or her. And you say, what's your name? How long have you worked here? Are you from Tempe? And maybe you're so bold as to say, as I carry these groceries to the car, I'm a Christian and I'm going to pray for you. Is there anything I can pray for? Then you, church, are working at the mission that God has given us. Churches, you pray for the members of Church on Mill to be faithful disciple makers as we go on trips this summer if you, do, if you travel or as you visit with family who don't yet know Christ, you're fulfilling the mission. Church, as you give faithfully every week to the offering, you do so recognizing that we are a church who's situated in one of the largest unreached people groups in the entire country. There are 
tens of thousands of lost people who flock here every fall and every spring, 13,000, 14,000 of which come from other countries. And a part of every dollar you give goes to the work of trying to reach students. Not only that, a part of every dollar you give goes to fund the electricity at the homes church members prior to us were able to purchase. And now pastoral residents live in them who are being trained to do gospel work elsewhere. Then a portion of every single dollar is fulfilling that mission evangelistically outside of our walls. Parents, as you see your goal, not merely to train up a child to not burp at the table and to be able to tie his own shoes and to be able to go to school and make A's and B's, or if you were me, C's and D's. But as you teach your kids not merely to be ethical, kind human beings, not that those are bad things, but as you teach your kids mainly to see Christ as the King of kings and Lord of lords and to spend their lives sharing Him with others, as you give them not primarily to safety, but to their Savior, then church, you're participating in this mission that God has given us. The examples could go on and on and on, but they're all sufficient to bring us back to the initial question we had. What is the life of a Christian? And in particular, what is our shared life? as a church, about. It's about catching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is the mission Jesus has given us. And what a joyous mission it is. I recognize for many of us this is not new news. But would you ask God to cause your heart to wonder and be amazed again, afresh and anew, at the gospel that has saved you and the Christ who now lives in you, that through you, more and more people might hear the good news. What a privilege we have. So as we leave in just a few minutes, as we walk out those doors, let's go fish together. Will you pray with me? Before I voice a prayer for all of us, I wonder if you'd take a minute, brother or sister, and ask the Lord to remind you of people who are already in your life, who are not believers. And pray that the Lord would give you boldness to share the good news of Christ with them. Father, it's scandalous for us to consider today not only that you have saved us, you have adopted us, you've welcomed us into table fellowship and communion with Christ, and that the resurrected Lord, the ruler of all things, through the Spirit now resides in us to continue his 
mission. It's scandalous for us to consider that you've not only saved us and redeemed us and forgiven us, but you've also commissioned us that we might continue in the same work that Jesus came to do. And God, of all the variety of ways we'll spend the next several days, chief among them in all our endeavors is that you'll be putting us in opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be around people who have yet to see and hear what a great God you are. And so we pray that you would give us wisdom, compassion, love, courage, that we might not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that through your strength and for your glory, we would show your love and share your news. Father, we pray as a church family that you would give us the tremendous privilege of seeing you catch more and more people with your love and join in your work here. Not for our sake, Lord, but that you might be lifted up and known in a greater way in Tempe, Arizona. And Lord, we're also mindful that every Sunday there are dozens of people here who have yet to trust Christ. We pray, Lord, that even as we've looked at this text today about sharing the good news, that, Father, you would have, in fact, shown them your love. God, would you turn on the light, if you would, that they might come to see how great you are, how extensive is your love and your mercy and your compassion, and how serious their need is for your forgiveness. And even now as I'm praying, Lord, we ask that people would turn from a life without you, that they would repent, that they would turn from sin and trust in Christ. And Father, if there's people here that have remaining questions, then in just a moment we pray they'd stick around and ask somebody who they came with or someone, a friend sitting near them, or they meet with one of the pastors out on the patio and simply say, tell me more. Father, may all who hear this prayer know the joy of being your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, it's a privilege to have shared this message with you knowing that it is, in fact, simply an encouragement to continue what you're already doing.